Good morning and greetings in Christ's name. It's kind of hard for me to get my mind uh, going in a different direction here after our Sunday school time. Um, I, I appreciated the things we discussed and somewhat what we're going to talk about here in the next few minutes somewhat relate to this. Um, somewhat, not a lot, but I think you'll get the connection as we move into it. Turn with me to John 7. I don't know. I started out um, having some talks here out of John, and it's just kind of progressed in that direction. It just seems easy for me to flip to the next chapter and keep going, so I I hope I don't bore you with that. Um, But we're going to talk out of John 7 this morning, and uh, we're going to specifically talk about verse 24. It says, Judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. So to get the setting here, why Jesus said that, I'm going to read the first 24 verses of John 7. Verse 1, After these things Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of the tabernacles was at hand. His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence, and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. For neither did his brethren believe in him. Then Jesus said unto him, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hateth me, because I testify of it, and the works thereof are evil. Go you up into this feast. I, I go not up yet unto this feast. For my time is not yet full come. When he had said these words unto them, he abode still in Galilee. But when his brethren were gone up, then went he also up unto the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? And there was much murmuring among the people concerning him, for some said, He is a good man. Others said, Nay, but he deceiveth the people. Howbeit no man spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. Now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And Jesus marveled, saying, How knoweth, excuse me, not Jesus, the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he will know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory, but he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keepeth the law. Why go you about to kill me? The people answered and said, Thou hast the devil. Who goeth about to kill thee? Jesus answered and said, I have done one work, and ye all marvel. Moses therefore gave unto you circumcision, not because it is of Moses, but of the fathers. And you go on the Sabbath day, And ye, on the Sabbath day, circumcise man. If a man on the Sabbath day receives circumcision, that the law of Moses should not be broken, are ye angry at me, because I have made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day? Judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. I'm going to cease reading there. It would be profitable to read the rest of the chapter, but uh, I'm not going to do that. So the title my talk this morning is avoiding unrighteous judgment okay Jesus was very much the um, focus of 
some very unrighteous judgment here. And uh, I've been mulling this, uh, this particular uh, message around in my mind for quite some time. And so as I've been reading through the Bible and observing things in the Bible, um, this has kind of been in the back of my mind, and I am quite amazed how many people in the Bible were subjected to some very unrighteous judgment. There's four things that, that, are, that are characteristic of unrighteous judgment. Let, let's get this straight. We're not talking about identifying sin, identifying uh, things that we know are wrong. I mean, if I did a poll today, you know, we bandy about this gay marriage thing a lot because it's, it's a very current issue. You know, we, it's no debate. It's wrong. We understand that. It's, it's just not that hard. That's not what we're talking about. We're called to judge things that are unrighteous. What we're talking about here, and when the, when the Bible condemns judgment or judging, it's always in the context that it's within the camp of the righteous. In other words, two people are believers. They should be seeing things the same way. But no, there's this unrighteous judgment that starts getting uh, bandied back and forth. Or generally it's one person to another. And so it's usually inside the camp of what should be God's people, unfortunately. That's what's condemned. Unrighteous judgment always starts when I subject a person to a standard of judgment that I have conjured up on my own. This is the standard. This is the way I see it, and I'm going to subject you to that standard. The other thing that seems to be um, rather um, common among this unrighteous judgment is that the person that's doing the judgment, judging, never seems to know it. He doesn't know it. He thinks he's doing the correct thing. And more times than not, people that are in a position of influence will be subjected to unrighteous judgment a whole lot more frequently than folks that are not. Now, the other thing, as I thought about it, I'm going to make a guess here this morning that every one of us in this room have probably at some time or the other been subjected to unrighteous judgment, and unfortunately, probably have all practiced it. I'm going to guess that's the case. Just because we're humans, and because we never know when we're doing it, and because the New Testament speaks so often to it, um, we're, we're not going to look at every place it speaks to it, but many times the apostles speak to this thing of, you know, this judging that just gets us in trouble and, and tears down church and, and does nobody any favors. <clears throat> As I thought on, on it a little bit, I'm going to give you three examples, just everyday examples, that I've, I've observed in my life that I think were examples of unrighteous judgment, just so you know kind of where my, where my mind's going and maybe some things we can learn. Um, I'll try to keep this brief because I don't want to belabor this too long. But uh, I remember whenever I was uh, in second grade, I had changed schools. I had, in first grade, I had went to a particular school, and, and for various reasons, I changed schools in, in second grade. Now, my, uh, my experience in my first grade year of school was very good. I, I have just really no bad memories of first grade at all. We had a, a good teacher, and we were a, a happy band of brothers there, and, and um, it, it was a good experience. Um, and I just have real fond memories of first grade. 
So I was eagerly anticipating second grade of school, thought this would be a good thing. And uh, wow, was I in for one shock. I, uh, I entered second grade of school, and I hate to admit this, but I, I, can't re I, ha I find it very difficult to come up with one good memory out of second grade. And I'm not necessarily happy I can say that. Uh, there, was, there was a number of things that, that, that caused that problem. I'm just going to talk about one. It didn't take me long to figure out that there was a, definitely a pecking order in that, in that particular school. And you kind of figured out pretty quick where you fit in that pecking order. And uh, I'm not sure exactly where I fit, but I can tell you I wasn't at the top or at the bottom. That much I did know. And, uh, and I, I, I figured out that if you wanted things to go well for you, you better identify with the guy at the top. That would be the best. So I, I tried to do that. Shame on me, but it's, that's kind of what I did. But anyway, I want to focus on the guy that I know was at the bottom of the pe pecking order there. And as I think of that, I, I, and I'm sorry I can say this, but uh, the way that person got treated was nothing to do with the way this person was. He was just a person that for some reason that I still don't know to this day, he was deemed down here somewhere. It was unrighteous judgment at its finest gone to seed. I don't know where the parents were. I'm not even quite sure where the teacher was. But that the whole thing was completely uncalled for. Okay, If you ever see a Burkholder child act like that, you come talk to me. Okay, we'll leave that one. Another thought, another illustration I'd like to give you. Um, some years ago, at a church I was attending at the time, there was a spot that needed filled in that church. And so a person was nominated for that spot. He began to fill that spot. There was another brother in that church that decided he shouldn't be the one filling that spot. He wasn't happy about that, that, that this person was filling the spot. And the person that was nominated to fill the spot couldn't do anything right. He, it, it wouldn't have mattered what he did. It was never going to be right. It had nothing to do with uh, whether he was getting the job done right had everything to do that he was being subjected to a standard of judgment that was unjust, unfair, and downright wrong. The other, and now I want to I give you a positive example. Um, I had a person, my brother-in-law as a matter of fact, told me of a time a few years ago that there was a, they were having a week, week of meetings as we, as we do as well. And the speaker that came in for that week of meetings, he was thoroughly enjoying this person. He, he, was, he was being challenged and built up in this. He was really enjoying his week of meetings, all right? So he tells another one of his friends how much he's enjoying this week of meetings that is going on in his church, and he tells him who the speaker was. Well, as soon as he told this other person who the speaker was, he was like, huh. If you knew everything about that guy, you wouldn't be enjoying it so well. My brother-in-law said, just wait. He said, I'm being blessed. I'm enjoying my week of meetings. Don't even tell me anything about this guy. I don't even want to know it. He said, it would, it would, it would, it would destroy my, the good time I'm having. J just spare me that. Now, that was a good call, and I appreciate that. Uh, stop the thing right there. If this man is being used of God to bless people, leave it be. And I'm happy that, that he made that call. 
All right, enough for my stories. You get the idea where we're going here. We're talking about very unrighteous judgment landed on a person by another person in a group of believers should not be. So the background of today's discussion here that, that we're going to have is, uh, if you look at verse 1, it says, After these things, Jesus didn't walk among Jewry. In other words, if, if you look at your center column, it probably says he didn't walk in Judea anymore. The reason he didn't walk in Judea is because he was being very subjugated to some very unrighteous judgment in Judea to the point that he was going to lose his life if he stayed there too much longer. So he just kind of eased up into Galilee and he stayed there. But it was time for this uh, Feast of Tabernacles, which was one of three feasts that every male in Israel was required to attend. So we have Passover Feast of Weeks and the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles culminated the religious feasts of the Jews. It was the last one of the year. And it was one of a lot of rejoicing and, and praise. It was, it, was, um, it was a time when we celebrated the, the ingathering of the harvest. Um, just a joyful um, atmosphere. People would uh, cut down myrtle branches and palm branches and willow branches. They'd bring them along to Jerusalem. They'd make that pilgrimage there. And there was much singing. There was sacrifices that were offered. And people would, would walk around toting these, uh, these palm branches uh, on their shoulders. It was kind of just a banner of, I don't know what, I guess it was just a silly thing they did. I don't know. It was, I'm not even sure that that was necessarily uh, requested by God. I do know this. They did live in booths during that time. They, uh, they made leafy shelters. And they, it was kind of like a picnic, you know. It was just a, just a nice time. Um, at the combination of this uh, particular feast... Um, they would have a sacrifice. And, and I don't know if I should say this is exactly the way it was. I heard already that if something is over 100 years old, you should say probably. So this is probably the way it was. I, I don't know how they know all this, but I'm just going by what I read. A priest would go to the water at the pool of Siloam. He would pull out a, a pitcher full of this water. He'd take it back to the um, sacrifice that was being offered. He'd pour it over the sacrifice Everybody would be around singing, and it was a wonderful, joyful time at that culmination, that last day. Flip over to verse 37 in chapter 7. It says, In that last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. That gives a little bit of a context of what was happening that day. Jesus is saying, The real water is here. Um, if you want to celebrate something, come talk to me. So that's kind of the context here. Now what I want to do is I want to go through chapter 7 and I want to look for components that define unrighteous judgment. This chapter is just fraught with one illustration after the next and we're going to identify it. I, I didn't know how, quite how to uh, word this. Is it characteristics? Is it things that happen because of? But um, we're going to go through this and identify some of, the, some of the components of unrighteous judgment. How unrighteous judgment manifests itself perhaps. So the first thing I see is in uh, verse 3, and that is the unfounded accusation that his brothers bring to Jesus that, um, that he wants popularity. Somehow they assume that he, he was after popularity, and they said, hey, you want popularity, go down to the feast, go down to where the crowd is, and, and start performing some miracles if you want some popularity. That, that's what you should do. Um, there's another time... Um, that Mark tells us about in Mark 3.21 and 
I'm not going to turn there, but it talks about a time when it says his friends accused him of being out of his mind, literally out of his mind. Um, the NIV says his family said he was out of his mind. So um, whether friends or family, whatever it was, Jesus was very many times subjected to this unrighteous judgment. The, the brothers here were assuming that Jesus was as carnal as they were. Um, they were carnal people. They didn't believe in Jesus. I question, you know, a person would have to question their, um, their righteousness, I guess you would say. They, would, they assumed that Jesus was just as worldly as they and that popularity is what he was after. Jesus tells them not so. In verse 6 and 7, he says, My time's not yet come. The world does not hate you, but it hates me. The reason the world doesn't hate you is because you are of the world. I'm not of the world. Therefore, the world hates me. What was the result of this? Well, the result was, as I already mentioned, this should have been a happy, joyful time. The families would go to Jerusalem together. Instead, what happens? The brothers take off for Jerusalem a few days ahead of Jesus. Jesus goes himself when they could have had happy fellowship on the way to Jerusalem together. It didn't take place. The family was split. It was a bad deal simply because of unrighteous judgment. We see separation, suspicion, all the things that go with it. Let's look at the next one. Um, this one is in verse 12. It says, And there was much murmuring among the people concerning Jesus. Some said, He's a good man. Others said, No, He, he deceives people. Um, the NIV calls this, it says there was much whispering. In other words, there was a lot of gossip. There was a gossip mill going like probably uh, not too many times before. Who was Jesus? Um, let's whisper about it. Let's talk to our friends about it. Let's get a debate going about it. Um, rarely can a person who is involved in unrighteous judgment keep it to himself. He can't seem to do that. It seems like he wants someone to agree with him and to build a band of supporters around his unrighteous judgment. Get a little validity to it. Get somebody else involved in this thing a little bit. Let's whisper. Let's gossip about it a bit. Let's move on. The third thing I see here in verses 14 and 15. So it's the middle of the feast. Jesus went up to the temple and taught. And it says the Jews marveled because they said, this man doesn't really have any education. He never learned his letters. How can he talk like this? You know, this, this doesn't make sense to us. In other words, I, I believe this was jealousy here. Um, they had real contempt for um, Jesus' abilities because he did not have the perceived proper credentials to be teaching like this. And, and here's where I come back to what I said in the beginning. Jesus was a man of influence. He was influenced on a lot of people. Um, it's hard for me to believe that if a Pharisee would have been having that sort of success and influence, that they'd have been so upset about it. Um, but the fact that Jesus could make his case, do it well, draw a crowd, um, should have it mattered if he learned his letters? Should have it? If he, was, if he was speaking the truth, people were listening, did it matter? Of course it didn't matter. Let's look at verse 16 to 18. I think another mark here is pride. Jesus says here that um, 
He said, uh, he that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory, but he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. If you would look up that word unrighteousness, it could be worded injustice. There's no injustice in that person. I think what Jesus is saying here is that he had no pride. He didn't speak to glory in himself, but those that want to, um, they can do that. And um, what would be the driving factor? Why would you want to do that? Why would you seek honor for yourself if it's not for unrighteous purposes? If it's not because of pride in your heart? Jesus didn't care about that. He said, um, I'm more concerned about honoring my Father. Let's look at verse 19. Did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you keepeth the law? Why go you about to kill me? I see inconsistency here. People that subject others to unrighteous judgment very many times are inconsistent. The Pharisees were very good at holding people to a standard that they themselves were not willing to subject themselves to. Um, The Pharisees knew this was true. Just briefly turn to chapter 8 and verse 7 to 9. You know the story. This, This woman was caught in adultery, brought to Jesus, accused... So, Jesus, he uh, stoops on the ground there in verse 8. says, And when they had heard it, being convicted in their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, until the youngest was gone. Basically, the, the Pharisees here self-indicted. They, um, Jesus said, look, that's fine. Throw your stone. Just make sure you're not um, guilty as well. They knew. They knew. It says their conscience is smote them. Nobody picked up a stone. They were inconsistent people that took pride in being meticulous followers of the law, and yet they themselves could not keep it. Matthew 23, 4 says, For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Again, people that will involve themselves in unrighteous judgment will be very inconsistent. Um, They are not willing to look at their own problems. Another mark in verse 20, I see denial of the truth. Jesus asked the question in 19, he goes, why do you go about to kill me? They said, what do you mean? We're, we're not trying to kill you. That was completely false. If you would go back to chapter 5 and verse 16, it says, And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. It's a whole different story. But the fact that they were after his life was no secret. That, that was no secret. Jesus confronts them with this here. And uh, they said, no, that's, that's not true. Um, so a, a denial of the truth. Uh, truth is not really something that is very much sought out whenever a person is involved in unrighteous judgment. Um, it is the pet peeve at that particular time that matters. Truth is irrelevant. Let's look at another mark in verse uh, 21 to 23. And uh, here I see an inability to comprehend or interpret the truth properly. Uh, The context, of course, is going back to to, uh, chapter 5, where I just read out of. But there we have a man that Jesus healed on the Sabbath day. And Jesus says, take up your bed and walk. So that's what the man did. 
Well, the, the Jews saw this man walking with his bed, and he said, wait a minute, it's a Sabbath day. You can't carry your bed on the Sabbath day. Who told you to do this? So, you know, the story unfolds, and they figure out it's Jesus. So let's think about that for a bit. Were, were these Jews wrong that um, burden shouldn't be borne on the Sabbath day? Well, I'll read you a verse out of uh, Jeremiah 17. Thus saith the Lord, take heed to yourselves, and bear no burden on the Sabbath day, nor bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem. Neither carry forth a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath day, neither do you any work. But hallow ye the Sabbath day, as I have commanded your fathers. So were these folks right? Sure, there was, there was a measure of truth to what they were saying. There was certainly a measure of truth. Um, were they also wrong that a, a, a boy child should be circumcised on the eighth day? Well, we can read in Leviticus 12.3, And on the eighth day the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Of course they weren't wrong. They, they were right. They were spot on in both, um, in both, uh, uh, you know, both of their assumptions here. Where they were wrong is they could not grasp the exception for doing good on the Sabbath day. They could not get it that if it's okay to circumcise on the, on the Sabbath day, if I won't make an exception for that, why then, why could I not make an exception for such a wonderful thing as a man that's, that's been had an affirmity for 38 years and laid by this pool and couldn't get better and somebody comes along and makes this man well and says, you know, just take up your bed and go home. I mean, come on, you can't get that connection. I mean, how hard is this? But they certainly couldn't. And so um, to them, it was a, this was terrible and um, they subjected uh, Jesus and that man in that particular case to some very, very unrighteous judgment. Another thing I see here is in verse uh, 40 and 41. Um, again, we have this, this uh, conversation between the people. Um, many heard and said of a truth, this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, should Christ come out of Galilee? Um, it seems that there was a, a, um, an unwillingness here to listen to reason. All right? Um, or excuse me, I'm sorry. I got ahead of myself. An inability to reach a consensus. They couldn't agree on where uh, Christ had come from. Was he Christ? Was he not? Um, did he come out of Galilee? Did he not? Um, again, it does not seem there's a real desire to know the truth. The desire is to uh, advance my agenda or what I believe. Uh, when one wants water on his wheel, he becomes very disagreeable, a very disagreeable person. If I can find water for that wheel, it's fine. But if it doesn't, uh, I don't want to hear anything about it. All right. Now let's go to verse 45 to 49. Uh, very interesting here. So these... Um, these Jews sent out officers to, uh, to apprehend Jesus. And uh, when they came back in verse 45, they, 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 they didn't apprehend Jesus. And, and they were asked, well, why didn't you bring him? 46, the officers answered, never, ma never man spake like this man. And they answered them, the, then answered them, the Pharisees, are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed on him? But the people who knoweth not the law, are cursed. Okay, so what I see here is, again, to repeat myself, an unwillingness to listen to a reasoning voice. 
the officers come back and say, you know, there was never a man, I, we never heard a person talk like this. This is unbelievable, what, what we're hearing out of these people. But the Pharisees, absolutely not, nothing to do with it. They were like, you know, this mob is a bunch of un, ungodly, unlearned people. They don't even know the law. They're cursed. Um, you know, what, what's wrong with you? Do you also believe? Uh, surely you understand that no ruler or Pharisee believes in him. Um, completely chucked out the reasoning voice that these officers brought back. So what happens uh, starting there at verse um, um, 50? Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, said unto them, He that came to Jesus by night, being one of them, doth our law judge any man before I hear him and know what he doeth? They answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. And every man went to his own home. The tenth mark I, I, I see here is really a denial of God's sovereignty, really, when it comes down to it. They were completely unwilling to listen to the law that they had just, in a previous verse, said the people don't understand. They don't even know the law. They're cursed. They don't know the law. But whenever Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, a believer, I believe, presents the law to them, they totally ignore it. They said, no, we're not going to pay any attention to that law. We don't care about the law. The question that uh, just begs to be asked is, which is worse? Is ignorance or not acting, not practicing the worst? I, I guess I would have to conclude that probably the latter is the worst, and that's where these people found themselves. That because their minds were so miscontorted, so uh, involved with this unrighteous judgment, they were not. They were not going to get that. That was impossible. Well, there's many other examples we could go to of uh, people that were subjected to unrighteous judgment uh, in the Bible. I'm just going to briefly mention a few. Moses, many, many, many times subjected to unrighteous judgment. Uh, think about when he killed the Egyptian, um, misunderstood by his brothers. Uh, whenever he came back to pull the children of Israel out of Egypt. Um, the, the people of Israel accused him of actually making it harder for him. Uh, countless times in the wilderness, he was accused of bringing them out to die in the wilderness. It, by his own brother and sister in number, Numbers 12, falsely accused him of uh, wanting to set himself up above all the rest of the people. Uh, Kor, Dathan, and Abiram, a few chapters later in Numbers 16, came right out and said, you just think you're better than everyone else. That's what you think, Moses. And these accusations were completely unfounded, unfounded and, and scathing. Um, none of this was true by, by Moses. And there's a very interesting account in Numbers 11. I wish we had time to go to it, but we don't. Where the, the Spirit of God... Let's back up. Moses was told to bring 70 people to the tent, and the Spirit of God was going to be uh, poured out on these people. So 70 people, 70 elders came to the tent... This event happened. Two of the 70 didn't show up. Their names were Eldad and Medad. They didn't show up. I don't know why. But for whatever reason, the Lord decided to put his spirit on them as well. Even though they were out in the camp, not at the tabernacle where they were told to be, he put his spirit on them. Well, this gets found out that these people, these two folks were out there in the, in the camp prophesying. And so somebody runs back to Moses and said, Wait, Moses, there's two people out here in the camp. They weren't at the tabernacle, but they're prophesying. And Joshua, who we think is a very good man, goes to Moses. He said, Moses, we can't have that. Go tell Eldad and Medad to be quiet. They can't do that. 
What did Moses say? Moses is like, what do you mean, Joshua? Me? Go tell them to be quiet when the Lord has poured his spirit on them? He said, I would to God every one of you would prophesy. Moses was a very humble man. He, he wanted everyone to be like Eldad and Medad. He wasn't trying to lift, lift himself up. Well, we can look at other examples. David, Job, Peter in Acts 11. Um, whenever he was, when it was found out that he entered into a house of the Gentile, of a Gentile, um, falsely accused. Uh, unrighteous judgment was poured out on him. The good news is in that particular account, uh, the people redeemed themselves by listening to Peter and, um, and they reversed their judgment on him. I would like to look at um, just a few other New Testament references to judging. Um, if, you, if you turn to Romans 2, and this is just to kind of build on how the apostles um, looked at judging uh, after Jesus went, how they, how they also had, um, had much to say about this unrighteous judgment that we're so prone to give to each other. Um, here in Romans 2, uh, verses 1 to 4, um, we have this account where um, the Jews were inclined to look down on their Gentile brothers because of just who they were. I mean, after all, I'm a Jew, you're a Gentile, you're just a notch lower. Paul points out here that salvation belongs to everyone. Everyone can do right. Everyone can sin. Uh, we're all equal. He says... You are, unex- you are inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judges. For when, wherein thou judgest, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judges doest the same thing. Flip back a few chapters to, verse, or to chapter 14 in Romans. The entire chapter um, Paul dedicates here to this, this thing of unrighteous judgment. I'm going to read uh, verse 13. Let us... Therefore, not judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved at thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably, destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Let not your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that it, for he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable of God and approved to men. Let us therefore follow after these things which make for peace, and the things wherewith one may edify another. Again, uh, the context is, one man thinks this, he thinks I can eat anything, the next person says I can't, one man says this day's holy, the other person says I don't think so, Who's right? It's, it's, it's just very subjective. But yet, the person that thinks that it should be observed or shouldn't be eaten, he subjects his standard of judgment on the other person and vice versa. Paul here says, there's so many more profitable things to do. Why don't you serve Christ? Why don't you, um, why don't you just do things that make for peace and things that edify? Let, let this judgment thing go. Uh, we, we, uh, we have much more profitable things to do. And then one more in James 4. Verses 11 and 12. Speak not evil one of another, brother. And he that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother, speaketh evil of the law and judges the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. 
Who art thou that judges thy brother? So what law was James talking about here? Let's flip back to chapter 2 and verse 8. Let's see if I can find that. If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, and here's the royal law, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Ye do well. But if you have respect to persons, or you judge, ye commit sin, and you are convinced of the law as transgressors, or convicted of the law as transgressors. So when we begin to pass judgments on our brother, Really, we're, we're speaking evil of the law and we're indicting ourselves. All right, so uh, what should we do instead of, instead of subjecting each other to unrighteous judgment? What should be some things we can spend our time doing instead? Well, I'd like to run through a few things here. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. In other words, don't judge the person. Restore him. Help him back. Lest you also be tempted. Bear ye one, another bur- bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. In other words, be spiritual. Don't judge. Restore people. Help people. Ephesians 4. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Verse 29, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Verse 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So here we have a number of things. Make sure it's true. Let's not make let's let's check our mouths. Make sure it's not corrupt. Let's minister grace. That's such an antidote for judgmental attitudes. Let's let's make ourselves ministers of grace. Uh, let's watch that evil speaking, that bitterness and that wrath, things that we're so prone to. Zechariah, the prophet, had a few things to say uh, through the Lord. These are the things that you shall do. Speak ye every man the truth to his neighbor. Execute the judgment of truth and peace in your gates. And let none of you imagine evil in your hearts against his neighbor, and love no false oath. For all these things I hate, saith the Lord. Do you notice the twins that are coming up here time and again of truth and peace? Here Zechariah again says, it's in your gates. The problem lays inside your gates. Don't imagine evil things in your heart against your neighbor. Unrighteous judgment many times is very untruthful. Peter has a few things to say. First Peter 1.22 Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brothers. Be pitiful. Be courteous. Job has a thing or two to say about it. If there was a man that was ever subjected to unrighteous judgment, it was sure Job. I'm going to read this out of the NIV because I like the way it brings it out. Job 16, 4 and 5. Job is responding to his friend after, after he's getting a lot of flack for you know, these things that are happening to him. A lot of unrighteous judgment passed on him. He says, I could speak like you if, I were in, if you were in my place. And I can make fine speeches against you and shake my head at you. 
But my mouth would encourage you. Comfort from my lips would bring you relief. We have some options there. We can either be very judgmental and make fine speeches against people that we think need fine speeches, or we can use those same lips to bring a person relief. And there's worlds of difference between the two. I have one example of righteous judgment from the Scripture, from the New Testament. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 14. This is, this is looking at righteous judgment now. All right? And I just, I just really like how this, uh, how this comes, plays out here. So the, the, the chapter here is dedicated to this, the, the superiority of prophecy to the speaking in tongues. Then in verse 26, he begins to talk about how proper it is to have order in our worship and um, you know, how we can do these things. And he's really, he's really laying it out to these Corinthians that you know, there's so many more profitable things we can do than speaking in tongues. He said, and he, he, he's really emphasizing prophecy. Okay. In other words, just, just teaching. That is so much more helpful. So I'm going to read verses 23, if I can find it here. If therefore the whole church be come together into one place, and all speak with tongues, and there come in one of those who are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say ye are mad? But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one that is unlearned, he is convinced of all, and he is judged of all. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so, falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. Now, isn't that something? Not a word was spoken. So these, these believers are here. They're in a worship service. And here comes a person that is an unbeliever. He comes into their service. Nobody does any, any condemnation. Nothing said. But just by observation and by listening to the teaching, it says he is judged of all. And there hasn't been a word spoken. In other words, he is, his conscience smites him because of the attitude that he feels towards himself through these believers. I think that's wonderful. Um, and the result is, in verse 25, he falls on his face, he worships God, and he reports to everybody he meets that God is of a truth in these people. Now, if these folks would have came in and right away they'd have been pointed out everything that was wrong with these folks, uh, you know, on and on and on, and subjected to unrighteous judgment, I can tell you one thing that wouldn't have happened. He wouldn't have fell on his face and worshipped God, and he would not have reported to his friends that God was of a truth in that congregation. So, what's our take-home lessons? I'm not sure how you feel about this. I said in the beginning, I think probably each one of us has been on either side of this unrighteous judgment thing. I know I have been, and I say that to my shame. The first take-home lesson I see is generally we're not real great at making accurate judgment calls on our brothers outside of clearly defined sin. Generally speaking, not very good. The other thing I see in our various readings this morning is that Outward appearances can be extremely inaccurate. Extremely. That's why Jesus warns us against that in, in John 7. He says, don't look at the outside, judge righteously. It seems like there's a, a tension between the two. 
All we can go by is the outside. Why do you think Samuel chose the first tall man he saw after Saul was um, dethroned? It's because, hey, Saul was a tall guy. He was a good king. He was the one guy I wanted. Let's get the next tall guy that comes along. Completely wrong. Completely wrong. And Samuel was a man of God. That's the other thing I need to emphasize. Lastly, the more we love God and our brother, the less likely we'll be to involve ourselves in unrighteous judgment. Well, my encouragement for you and I this morning is there's so much, so much more profitable things to do. Uh, let's involve ourselves in building each other up. Let's leave judgment to God. That doesn't mean we can't call a spade a spade sometimes. Sin is sin. We can do that. But when we don't know if the spade is a spade, then let God decide if it's a spade or not. He can do that. We don't have to do that. 